late nights at the Chuckle Cafe. Please welcome your first open micer. Hey, what's up everyone? How's it going? Who's loving the drinks here, huh? Yeah, be sure to tip your bartender. Um, anyway, let me get into some of my material, okay? First of all, what's up with all these genders? They're so crazy. Just shut up about all the genders, man. Oh, you want to talk about my gender? Well, let me tell you, my gender is my ass. My pronouns are my balls. My pronouns are ass man. My pronouns are Rick and Morty. My pronouns are SpongeBob SquarePants. My pronouns are Abbott and Costello. My pronouns are Kmart. My pronouns are Blackjack Chewing Gum. Man, you guys really like these jokes. My gender is Gandalf the Grey. My pronouns are Shadow Facts. My pronouns are Lake Titty Kaka. My pronouns are Pythagorean Theorem. My gender is the Taj Mahal. My pronouns are Prometheus and Bob. My pronouns are Attack Helicopter. Had to include that one for the fans. I'm gonna keep going until you stop laughing. My pronouns are Anderson Cooper. My pronouns are Boutros Boutros Golly. My pronouns are Winnebago. My pronouns are Tim Pool. My pronouns are Babe Ruth. My pronouns are World of Warcraft. My pronouns are 100 Deeds for Eddie McDowell. is the German breakaway government. Oh, bother. Broadcasting live to tape across the nation and the world from the Lorena Bobbitt Theater in the proud birthplace of a $5 cup of coffee in beautiful North Seattle. It's the podcast for a world gone mad. This is The Society Show, and now, your host, the next president of the United States of America, Christian Patterson. I'm listening. I'm listening. Hello and welcome to The Society Show. Do you believe? society's laws my name is christian i am your host today is thursday march 16th good morning and since this is a global international podcast recorded live to tape 
good afternoon, good evening, and good night to you. And a special shout out to the U.S. Department of Labor who is listening in. Hello there. We will get into the show, but first... But first, but first, but first, but first, but first, but first... Let me introduce the crew. First, we have our announcer with his deep, booming voice, Cliff Dornhofer. Hello. And please welcome your MC, DJ Skidoo. No, get those lights off! Off! They're too bright, turn them off! And of course, none other than the Society Show Soundboard Band. And finally, please welcome our in-house organist, the world-famous Roy Dickerson! So we have a pretty busy show today, folks. Um, I'm going to close out the show a little later with some news stories. And uh, before we get into that, I am going to talk about the new TV show, Last of Us. And um, I have kind of a lot of thoughts on that. And then, but before we get to that, we're really going to start the beginning of the show talking about my presidential campaign that I announced last week. Technically, I launched it two weeks ago, but that was kind of a soft launch. Like, you know, when restaurants have soft openings, that was my soft launch, the presidential campaign. Now I'm on the hard hard launch phase, and, um, you know, I, I received some questions from some of my future constituents. They have been asking me, you know, you are a podcast host podcast hosts don't have the best reputation what do you think about that and here's the hard truth for some people the usa is ready for a podcasting president if not now then when podcast hosts have been socially stigmatized for far too long how are you gonna be a hater on something you listen to because Most people who don't listen to podcasts, they don't have any impression of what they're like. They just kind of assume it's radio through the internet. So if you have strong feelings about podcast hosts, well, then whoever smelt it dealt it because you clearly listen to podcasts. So enough from the the podcast host stigmatizing peanut gallery. And that is why one of my many campaign slogans, this is the first one, I'll probably come up with more, but it is not me, us. The us being podcast hosts. So I'm here to represent my fellow podcasters and I hope they uh, heed the call and vote the right way. And while we're here, I will be adding a couple planks to my presidential platform. Um, So the uh, first plank, in addition to the other ones, and someday I'll make a list of all the planks of my presidential platform, but a new plank to my platform will be abolish filing taxes. 
This might come as a shock to many Americans, very, very many Americans, right? But other countries, many of them, you do not file taxes. In a lot of European countries, it's filed automatically. And in some other countries, it's just kind of built into the economy the way that you do taxes. Like, they don't, like, collect at the end or... And they might give you a refund, but it's like an automatic tax refund. You don't need to file to get it. You won't get in trouble for filing. And that is exactly the type of thing that we need in the United States. And, you know, I think the only reason this is not something in the American zeitgeist that people bring up a lot, and I think a big reason why is the politicians have no incentive of changing it because the tax filing lobby is so powerful. And common people like me don't really talk about it because I don't think most common people have any idea that we don't have to file taxes. So that is a big plank on my platform. Complete tax, just totally redo the tax code. Well, for one, while we're doing that, obviously increase taxes on rich people, but also make it so you don't have to file taxes at all. That is one plank I'm adding to my platform. And another thing I will be adding to my platform is that I would like to bring a little thing called Fritz Cola to the U.S. If you aren't familiar, Fritz Cola is a very popular drink in Germany and much of the EU. It is um, imported throughout the EU, but it's exceptionally hard to get in any country where it's not distributed, and that includes the U.S. and basically anywhere outside of uh, Europe. Even only specific parts of Europe. But the the real upside to Fritz Cola, which makes it so cool and awesome, super cool, is that, you know, it's technically a pop. Or for the Yankees and Californians, it's a soda that is highly caffeinated. It actually has the highest amount of caffeine that a drink can have in Europe. And so it tastes like cola, but it's highly caffeinated. I mean, that is right up my alley. If you don't know, I am a co- I'm a cola fan. I love the flavor of cola and I love caffeine. So, we need to get right on this. The US government will subsidize if it subsidize it if we have to. We will take funding from the US military. We will not cut Social Security, but we'll be uh, we'll be taking this money from the military, folks. Don't you worry to make sure that Fritz Cola is widely available. So those are the two new additional planks to my platform, and I would also like to announce that my presidential campaign has hired a new staffer a new staff person, and he will be one of my right-hand men going through this. And he actually will be working for me from a remote village in Uganda. He does not live in the U.S., and he is currently unable to fly to the U.S. due to potential legal issues. 
Well, who am I talking about? I am talking about the world-famous former African warlord. Now he's kind of semi-retired, so he's more like an African militant. But please welcome none other than the one, the only, Joseph Coney. He couldn't appear on the podcast. He uh, really only communicates with me by text. He doesn't have good enough internet to appear by video. But um, he he wanted me to tell the crowd that he's very happy to be working on this campaign. And he's happy to move past uh, some of the things in his past and kind of start over. So we are very happy. First, we had Coney 2012 in a bad way. Now we have Coney 2024 in a good way. Now, before we move away from me talking about my campaign, I just, you know, I've been having an issue with my campaign, my presidential campaign, and that is, you know, it's really hard for me to relate to the young people. I just don't know how to get on their level. I feel like we're from totally different worlds. For example, you know, when I was growing up, I watched cartoons on the boob tube. Now kids watch cartoons on YouTube. We used to have Pokemon cards. Now we have a lot, lot more Pokemon cards. We used to have Harvest Moon. Now we have Stardew Valley. We used to have RBIs. Now we have OPS Plus. We used to have purple ketchup. Now we have regular colored ketchup. We used to have coops and hatchbacks. Now we have crossovers and SUVs. And of course, we used to have Bob Hope, Johnny Cash, and Steve Jobs. Now we have no hope, no cash, and no jobs. So I just don't know how to get to these young people who were born a few years after me. It's like, yeah, we get it. You were in preschool when 9-11 happened. I was in third grade when 9-11 happened. How can we possibly relate? So if you know any youngster... Any sort of like young whippersnapper who uh, wants to start their career in politics, let me know and we'll get them on the case. And um, that has been the extent of my presidential campaign updates, but uh, stay tuned for the rest of the show. Like I said, Uh, momentarily I'm going to talk about The Last of Us and uh, later on in the show I'll talk about some news. So I've watched this show and you know I'll talk about the first episodes. I won't even touch on the last one because it's not because this episode is recorded live to tape and I haven't watched it yet. No it's not that at all. In fact I'm doing it purely selflessly to avoid spoilers. Never mind that I've poo-pooed the idea of spoilers before. Forget about that. I promise I've watched the last episode. 
but I'm not going to talk about it because it's like my point doesn't really involve the last episode anyway. So uh, let's get into it, shall we? The first season is now finished and there will be spoilers for everything except the last episode. So what I want to say about this show is I'm kind of tired about apocalypse or tired of apocalyptic fiction and the reason i say that is i don't really think the end of the world as we know it will look anything like this and the reason i say that is because there has been so many apocalypses in history like an absurd amount of apocalypses they happen all the time there were multiple apocalypses in... I'm, there's just numerous. Think about every civilization that collapsed. Every major pandemic that killed way more people than COVID. Think about every societal collapse. Every mega drought event. Like, for example, like think about when the conquistadors came to Mesoamerica. That would have been experience. Or at least, you know... When it came to, like, conquering, like, the Mayas, that took generations, centuries, really. But when it came to, like, the toppling of Tenochtitlan, or, uh, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, like, the siege of Tenochtitlan, that would have been experienced as an apocalyptic event. But then, you know, you just go back a few hundred years the Mayas also had a, a so-called apocalyptic-style event that was around 900 A.D. And then, you know, even before that, the Olmecs had a, comp, uh, a kind of apocalyptic event. And we don't really know what caused it or why. It was that's kind of lost to time, at least for now. We just don't know. And then, you know, you think about, like... What are some, like, civilizations that used to exist? The Hittites? What happened to the Hittites? They experienced an apocalyptic event. I could just keep going on and on and on and on and on, and I'm not going to. Because you get the idea. And so, I guess, with The Last of Us, I'm just like, I think a lot less would have to happen for it to feel like a legitimate apocalypse event. And I'd like to see some more media that explores that. Because when you think about it, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of room for intrigue and interest about that. Like... What would happen if, say, the internet collapsed? Because we would probably experience that as an apocalypse. So, like, we can't even fathom how much of everything we do is, like, mediated by the internet now. And, and then it's like, what would happen then? I'm kind of more interested in that than just, like, 90% or more of the world turning into zombies. Like, I mean, that's cool, too. But I, I just... In this sort of realm of fiction, they need to get a little more. They, they need to branch out. They need to be a little more creative, maybe. But having said all that, you know, I still think The Last of Us is a pretty good show. I've enjoyed it, and there's things I like about it. But one other thing I will add is I really don't like their formula of introducing a character and killing them. It just seems a little cheap, and it doesn't really advance the story. And in general, like, the story of Last of Us is very, 
very slow pace. Like, not a lot actually happens. So, I guess we'll see. But, you know, those are my sh- thoughts on the show. I just thought I'd throw that in there because it is in the zeitgeist right now. And, you know, having said that, how about we uh, wrap up the show with some news, shall we? And, you know, this won't be a particularly long show. Just to be transparent, you may have noticed that the uh, last few episodes have been shorter. And the reason is, I do think this show does better when it's shorter and sweeter. When there's more density to it. Density of content. Like, I think... I'm not the best public speaker, never mind that I'm running for president, but I'm just not the best at it, and, you know, I have my weaknesses, alright? And I think I'm a better editor than I am a speaker, and so when I let the editing do the talking, I think the show does better. So, let's get into some news, shall we? Facts don't care about your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. These are facts. We have some news about the uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Um, If you haven't heard about this, basically it's a very big bank. It it takes money from a lot of people, um, a lot of tech startups. It just is very deeply involved in tech, but it's also involved in some other industries. One thing I saw someone on t- Twitter saying is um, that it was some like tech bro and he's like, um, you're really celebrating that Silicon Valley Bank went belly up? Well, think about it this way. There are charter schools who are in, uh, who have their money in the Silicon Valley Bank. Ever thought about that? It's like, dude, we hate, we all hate charter schools like you gotta be out of your gourd if you're gonna be like um well you hate tech companies eh well what if what if it was affecting a really pernicious privatizing force in public schools would you be cheering then it's like yeah i bet that most of the things invested in this bank are a either things we don't need like most tech companies b really shitty evil industries like the charter school industry or c you know, the smallest category, you know, may be useful, but if they disappear, then we don't need them. And I am totally 100% on board on every level of letting them fail. And, you know, one thing that that's really annoying about this is that on Twitter, a lot of people are being like, this is Biden's fault. No, this is Trump's fault. And it's like, screw that. Screw blaming people. It does not matter. It's just good that they're toast. Like, I'm I'm willing to accept any negative ramifications that may happen from this bank collapse. Because I, 
am 100% fully convinced that we will be better off without it existing. And if the U.S. government comes to bail them out, I mean, I just don't even know what to freaking think. It is so stupid. Like, there will be a huge problem if they bail these people out. And I I just I think people are just going to accept it because it is kind of what you expect to happen on one hand but it's also like how almost like how can we expect anything else and you know we hope it doesn't happen and I they might not get bailed out but it just would not be the most shocking thing It would actually be shocking if they did not bail them out, because that's how shitty ass our government says. Breaking news, folks. This has just come across my desk. So, it seems that the U.S. government is, in fact, bailing out the Silicon Valley Bank. There has now been three cryptocurrency-focused banks that have failed this month. Both the Silvergate Bank, which is a smaller one, Silicon Valley Bank, as we've been discussing, and now Signature Bank, which was the one that Barney Frank joined after he retired from Congress, that dumb, dumbass, with his hard protruding nipples that are so disgusting biggest loser so i mean this is just screwed up all these businesses need to just eat their own crap tech bros love telling people like guess we know why you're poor that's why i'm rich and you're poor or just like saying these little snide remarks that make them feel as if they're smarter or better than people because they work in this like super fucked up super subsidized industry of just dumbass just the biggest dumbasses you can ever imagine and then they get pumped full of a bunch of money from like the u.s government because they're they're so poor at profit generating like they're profit motivated and the profit so-called is being subsidized by the u.s government and then they pay their workers like a quarter million dollars to do nothing except be pompous asses i'm so freaking sick of this it's so stupid abolish every american tech company maybe that'll become part of my political platform Abolish every single American tech company. But the biggest bitch of all is the haters. For our next story, I got a little heated about that. Um, This is a story from Al Jazeera. Headline, quote, Changing global order. China's hand in the Iran-Saudi deal. And from the body, quote, China's efforts in brokering a deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia have been seen by analysts as broader signs of a changing global order. During talks in Beijing on Friday, Saudi Arabia and Iran agreed to re-establish diplomatic relations and reopen their embassies within two months. The agreement also stipulated affirming, quote, the respect for the sovereignty of states and the non-interference in internal affairs of states. 
Later on in the article, it says China's role as a mediator in resolving long-standing issues between the regional foes had not been made public prior to the announcement. Wang reportedly said China will continue to play a constructive role in handling hotspot issues and demonstrate responsibility as a major nation. He added that as a good faith and reliable mediator, China has fulfilled its duties as a host for dialogue. And of course, this is a great thing because a lot of conflicts in the Middle East, the kind of thing underpinning them and fueling them is this sort of like long-standing Cold War proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. So this is big news, not just for these two countries, but for the stability of the Middle East in general. But of course, the U.S. has had their fair share in this, and by that I mean the U.S. wants Saudi Arabia and Iran and the whole Middle East in general to be fractured and at each other's throats because that's what creates power vacuums for the U.S. government to like both integrate the country into the neoliberal global order, but also potentially as like military bases or outposts or just, you know, they want to create allies in the region. Why do you think the U.S. is funding Saudi Arabia's genocide of Yemen? Well, for one, I mean, Yemen does have a lot of oil, that's for damn sure. For two, right now it's more of an ally of Iran. The U.S. wants it to be an ally of Saudi Arabia so they can use it. Um, but so let's read on a little more from what the U.S.'s perspective on in this is. So it says, quote, Robert Mogulnicki, senior resident scholar at the Arab Gulf State Institute in Washington, D.C., told Al Jazeera the brokered deal is evidence of a growing Chinese presence and its increased interest in playing a role in the region. Now, you might read that and be like, Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, why aren't they a little more interested in this region? They are a world superpower. Um, but if you know anything about the U.S., then you know that no one else is allowed to play an increased role in a region at all. Any region of the world, except the U.S., and maybe its allies like the NATO European countries. Um, so this is, you know, on its face, it's like, that's great, you know, they're finally singing Kumbaya, but for the U.S., this is like, worst case scenario. The article continues, as the United States does not have good relations with Iran, China is, quote, in a good position to broker an agreement, he said. Quote, it's a relatively low risk and high reward activity for China to engage in because the Chinese are not committed to any particular outcome, Mogulnicki said. He then goes on to say about how it's a good thing for the U.S., but um, keep in mind, this guy, he's not a representative of the U.S. government. He works for, like, a think tank, but... Um, you know, he seems kind of high on it, but he, you know, he's not in the State Department, so that might uh, explain some of that. I will say, though, I did look into this think tank, the Arab Gulf States Institute. It was actually started by a man named Frank George Wisner II, 
And if that name sounds familiar, his dad, Frank Gardiner Wisner. Oh, that's weird. So they both have a G middle initial, but it's a different name. That's kind of stupid. But his dad, Frank Gardiner Wisner, uh, was one of the founding uh, officers of the CIA. And he was a major CIA dude in the early days. And he was about as evil as they all come. He was very involved with the overthrow of Mossadegh in Iran, and he was also very involved with over overthrowing Arbenz in Guatemala. Two of the most disgusting crimes the U.S. has ever committed. So he committed suicide at his son's farm. I, I don't know if it means Frank G. Wisner II's farm. But, um, so, you know, while this guy they interviewed about the uh, Arab Gulf State Institute or whatever, he seemed just like a regular analyst type dude who's like, this will be good for the reason, but don't get it twisted. This is an evil ass CIA advocating, um, just an evil organization. Like, Like all the think tanks, really. Hey man, everybody on Twitter thinks you're a dumb nerd. So let's get a little more perspective. I'm reading a lot from this article, but I think it's an interesting article. So, quote, Trita Parsi, executive vice president of the Quincy Institute, told Al Jazeera that the U.S. increasingly has deviated from and increasingly pursued policies that simply make it impossible for it to be a credible mediator. Yeah, no shit. Quote, the U.S. is increasingly taking sides in regional conflicts. I don't know if I'd say increasingly. They've always taken sides. They always take the most reactionary right-wing fascistic side. But continuing. Becoming co-belligerent in regional conflicts, which makes it very difficult for the U.S. to play a peacemaking role, Parsi said. China did not take sides between Saudi and Iran, has worked very hard not to get dragged into their conflict, and as a result could play a peacemaking role. China's breakthrough comes as various U.S. media outlets reported this week that Israel and Iran were edging closer to war. Maybe that'll, uh, I mean, if, if the war that they're referring to was imminent and China put a stop to it, China very easily saved us from World War III. No freaking joke. This person, Tusi, who I kind of skipped over, she... Or he, I don't know, works for the Center for International Policy, another evil think tank. But uh, let's see what Tusi has to say. Quote, Tusi said that while China also has substantial political and economic relations with Israel, the U.S. has, quote, historically been giving support to Israel and Saudi Arabia against Iran, and so it has not been able to play that mediator role. I think this is a broader sign of the global change, the change in global order and how the period of America being the unchallenged global superpower, especially after the Cold War, that period is ending. Amen. Let's hope so. Bye bye, unipolar world. We're coming. <laughs> And now for our last story before I wrap this up all neat and tight. Here's a headline from Reuters. And one thing I'll say about Reuters real quick. 
I just want to say, you know, Reuters, they added a paywall to their website, and that always sucks. I was super mad when I heard that, because I use Reuters as a source a lot on this show, right? But there is a website called 12 Feet Ladder. It is tw- the number 12ft.io. You enter a... a paywalled uh, URL into that, and then it takes you right to it. The problem is some websites have too sophisticated of paywalls that you can't get over it. Like, I don't think you can get past the one that they use at the New York Times or The Athletic, um, which is owned by the New York Times now. Uh, They use a more sophisticated paywall, so I just want to give a shout out to Reuters for using a more old-school paywall that I can easily bypass. Um, so, this headline, Garbage piles up in Paris as Macron vows to push through pension reform. That's right, I said it the French way, Macron. I'll get a little more into the substance of this article, but there's some places that when they protest, it's all really straightforward. And some places when they protest, it's some elaborate crap. Like, if you go to a lot of Democrat-friendly protests in the U.S., they can have a tone about them, like, you know, to go back a few years, like, we're protesting in support of FBI Director Robert Mueller's report on Russian interference in the election. And it's just the most, like totally removed stupid thing from lived like material reality like it doesn't matter it, it kind of reminds me of like when i went to protests after roe v wade was overturned like a lot of people were protesting like you know for abortion rights but a lot of people were taking attacked kind of the older people um that it's like very electoral focus and like we need the democrats to help us and it's like how have you not pieced together that the democrats like aren't going to save you yet like that's been patently obvious as long as i've been like conscious of politics and i guess some people just don't get it but you know that gives you a sense of how removed protests in the u.s often are from like the actual material reality and like also there's protests going on in israel right now and basically you know they're opposing judicial reform that would centralize the power of the government and it would likely like highly accelerate the displacement and massacre of palestinians and all that people are protesting against it and it's like yeah you should protest that and all but like Why aren't they protesting against the settler colonial apartheid government more generally? Like, protesting about a kind of narrow change in the structural mechanisms of a giant political apparatus? It's pretty specific, which means they're kind of implicitly saying they're okay with the whole settler colonial apartheid government on some level. They're just opposed to making it too mean in this one specific way. And it's like, it just feels like a very hollow protest. If you're not going to oppose the whole thing, then like, 
why don't you just go vote about it? Like, you, you need to get deeper than that if you're trying to be, if you're trying to make a radical statement. And having said all that, you know, leave it to France because when they protest, it's always about their real shit and they, they commit. So this headline is about the garbage piling up in Paris and here's from the text. So from the body of the, the article, quote, garbage piled up in Paris streets and fuel deliveries were blocked from refineries as workers continued rolling strikes against pension reform, but President Emmanuel Macron refused to meet with unions and said the reform must go ahead. Before I read any further, it's like, who the fuck is voting for this guy? Like, I literally never hear about Macron unless he's doing some type of, like, neoliberal reform. I talked about him last week because he was like, uh, Congo wanted to sanction Uganda and wanted their permission and is like, or Rwanda, sorry. And Macron, like... His response was like as if he was running a corporation. I, I didn't really highlight that part, but he was like not talking about it like a geopolitical conflict. It's all a cost-benefit analysis to him. And it's just kind of weird that he's president now because he's such a Barack Obama, just like a program cutter and a cut and save type neoliberal it's like he's just very out of sync with like the current pol global political climate but anyway um continuing from the article quote as debate about the reform continued in the senate workers blocked fuel deliveries from leaving total energies and so refineries on friday based while power supply was disrupted and maintenance at some EDF nuclear reactors was delayed, based. So, fa so far, the impact has not been major as cold weather has prevented the garbage in Paris and other cities from stinking. While there are no lines at gas stations yet as m motorists and fuel station operators anticipated disruptions. But the hardline CGT union at Total Energy's Dongus, Donga, Donga, I don't know how to say that, Donga, Donga, refinery said the strike would continue at least until Thursday and garbage collector unions had set no date for a resumption of services. In a letter to unions, Macron refused to agree to their request for a meeting, saying that unions had had ample time to negotiate with the government over the past months and that now was the time for Parliament to review the reform, whose key measure is a two-year extension of the retirement age to 64. So this guy's just such an ass. He's like, they're like, we're going to strike against this. Unless you talk to us. And he's like, um, you already had an opportunity to talk to us and you just, like, didn't. So, um, too bad, so sad, wanna cry, you can't talk to me anymore, haha. <laughs> like, what a little sniveling douche. And then the letter he writes, okay, this is just... I think if a politician was this insulting to people in the U.S., I mean, n no one in the U.S. is like, we're all brain broken and we just... 
accept the slop put on our plate, but I don't even think Americans would put up with some asshole president being this condescending. He uh, said in a letter, quote, I do not underestimate the discontent that you express, nor the fear of many French people that there will be no retirement for them. It's like, you condescending prick. And then he said he added that he would not compromise on the need to restore a durable financial equilibrium of the pension system in order to guarantee the pensions of future generations. It's just so, I mean, Macron's such a freaking coward. All these neoliberal politicians are the biggest cowards in the freaking world. They're so afraid of their afraid of their capitalist masters and they just love shitting on poor people and acting all patronizing about it like they they know best. We're smarter than the poor people. That's why you that's why you elected me president. Such a loser. I hate this guy. I'm sorry, this episode, everything I'm talking about this episode just makes me so mad. And so, that being said, thank you for listening to The Society Show. You can follow me on Twitter at ChristianIsCool. Is is spelled I-Z, Christian I-Z, cool. You can follow the show on Twitter at society underscore show. You can write into the podcast at societyshowpodcast at gmail.com, all one word. And you can learn some more information about the podcast if you go to societyshow.net. And with that... Thank you for listening to The Society Show.